We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 7. Title of the sermon, Come to the Waters. Come to the Waters. And I just thought it'd be a a very relevant uh, passage to think about. And I actually came to this passage because of some of the more famous verses that we know out of Isaiah, um, which is in the, the second half of this passage. You know, the, the verse that says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, uh, neither are your ways. My ways declares the Lord, you know, God's ways higher than our ways. Like that's in this chapter. And uh, also the verse about how the word of God will not go and uh, not accomplish its purposes. Um, that's also in this chapter. So that's actually why I came to read this passage in the first place. But then um, I realized, uh, I think more so the first seven verses, first part of this passage is really relevant for us. And we're actually not going to talk about those other famous verses out of this chapter. So let me quickly pray for us, and then we'll talk about this passage. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is... The, the, the eternal word of God, written thousands and thousands of years ago, but relevant for us today because it is the word of God. We thank you that you want to speak to us, that uh, all the different things that we're thinking about or going through currently in our present state, you are mindful of, um, and you care for us, and you want to speak your word to us. So we pray that you would do that at this time, speak to us through your word, help us to understand it, cherish it, and we pray that it would be the work of the Holy Spirit that enables us to um, receive it in such a way that we want to live it out and practice it throughout this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 7, and we'll go through the verses as we go through the sermon. Isaiah, the, the prophet Isaiah, he prophesied in Judah between 739 B.C. and 681 B.C. 739, 681. So that means that was during um, the fall of the northern kingdom, when the northern kingdom fell and went into exile at the hands of the Assyrians. Uh, Isaiah was prophesying to the southern kingdom at that time. So much of Isaiah's earlier ministry contains warnings, warnings to God's people about what happens when we disobey God and things like that. And then the, the latter chapters, now that's after the exile of the northern kingdom, the latter chapters look ahead to restoration and hope, and that's the prominent message of the later chapters of Isaiah. And if you notice, we're in chapter 55, which is just a couple chapters after the famous suffering servant passage in Isaiah 53. And that's probably the most, one of the most famous passages out of Isaiah. We read about it, and especially in Easter and things like that, about the suffering servant, the Messiah, who will come and accomplish salvation for God's people. So this passage we're looking at today is in light of that passage, comes right after that passage. It's an offer of hope in light of, because of, the work of the suffering servant. Okay, so, so in that context, we'll, we'll think about this passage. First, the invitation to come. The invitation to come. Verse 1, come. 
everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Okay, so this first verse begins with an invitation, and four times, even in this verse, God says, come. Um, Initially, I guess just by reading this verse, the invitation, what the invitation is for, it's ambiguous because it's using figurative language. So it says, if you're thirsty, come, because there's water here. God says, if you have no money, that's fine. There's no problem because what I have to give to you is free. Uh, and, that, and that's all we know so far, and we know that this invitation also is for everyone. Everyone come because everyone thirsts. And then it says in verse 2, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? And now we, be, we begin to realize that what God is addressing is the moral and spiritual condition of his people. That's what he's talking about. Why do you spend your money? Figuratively saying, why do you give yourself to? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? He's talking about the things that not only we give our money to, but what we give our thoughts to, what our energies are spent on, what we give our hearts, our devotion to. And God says, for what? Why do you give yourself to those things? For what? For those things that don't satisfy. And uh, notice that that's all that God says. Notice that that there isn't an extensive argument to prove that those things that we seek after don't satisfy. And there's no need for that kind of argument. He just says, you labor for that which does not satisfy, and that's enough. It's enough to say that because we already know that that's true. We already know that many of the things that we give ourselves to and are devoted to don't satisfy our hearts. I guess this is a good point at this point to kind of pause and think about what it is actually that we've been spending our time on giving ourselves to during this quarantine period. I mean, think about that. Think about what you've been giving, what you've been spending your time on. Obviously, there's more time because there's less time outside, so there's more time inside. What have you been spending your time on? What have you been doing? What habits have you developed? What have you been giving yourself, yourself to? And and really, we might not even have to think too long to realize that much of those things that we've been giving ourselves to don't satisfy. We're spending a lot of time on it, but at the end of the day, after a full day of giving myself to those things, we're left thinking, there's still something missing, again, because it's not satisfied. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, your labor for that which does not satisfy? And then he says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. He says, not only listen to me, but he says, listen diligently to me. Notice that we often have to be told what to do from the outside, right? Outside of ourselves. 
because my heart alone is not a good gauge of what is good. If I follow my heart to do what my heart wants, I will not eat what is good. My heart will lead me to what does not satisfy. So he says, listen to me and eat what is good. Listen to me and delight yourself in rich foods. So God says, delight yourself, not in those things. Listen to what I'm saying and delight yourself in rich foods. So this is an invitation, invitation to come, to come and eat and drink what is good, what will satisfy for free. Without price, God offers it to us. Um, my wife, Christine, usually uses a treadmill at home. But this treadmill has been acting up for some time. And uh, one day, maybe like a month or so ago, this treadmill just, it just said, I can't do this anymore. And it just made a loud noise and then kaput and it died. And it broke. It doesn't work now. So now without a treadmill and because of the pandemic and of not wanting to be around like really hard breathing people at the gym. Um, so now Christine's been taking these long exercise walks in the morning uh, out, outdoors. And morning because it's just way too hot any other time. Um, one day I asked her, okay, so you've been going on these long walks. I said, why don't you run, right? Why don't you run? Because, you know, I see many people run. Why don't you run? Why do you walk? And she says something to me that was truly insightful. Why don't you run? I mean, don't you actually, like, get more exercise? I, that's, I mean, from someone who doesn't run or walk or do any steps or anything like that, I thought that was my understanding that if you run, you, you uh, do more for, for your cardiovascular and burn more or something like that. And so that's, that's so why don't you, why do, why do you walk? I really want to know, why do you walk? And she said, she goes, she goes, I believe that exercise has to be enjoyable. She goes, if I run and I'm putting all this stress on my body, I won't enjoy it. Right? I mean, I know what that feels like. I don't enjoy running. Like you're huffing and puffing and your body hurts and you, your knee hurts and everything hurts after a while. She goes, if I'm running, then like I won't enjoy it. But she, and then she goes, but when I walk, I can go on scenic routes. I can listen to the podcasts that I like. I can learn different things, smell the fresh air, right? hear the birds chirping in the trees. Right? And she said, because the walks are enjoyable, she, she, she's motivated to do it. Right? And she's been doing it every day. These long walks, takes off in the morning and I don't see her for a while. And I think there's something that we can take from that, right? God says, come. Because here, when you come, I offer you things that will truly satisfy you. So very practically, I think what we can take from that is, so make that daily experience enjoyable. So maybe it can be in the morning, free from, you know, especially if you're, 
if you, if you have kids, right? Free from the troubles and burdens of the day. Free from the, the loudness of the day. Maybe in the morning. Pick your favorite spot. Maybe it's in your front porch. Sitting in your favorite chair. Favorite cushion. Favorite color cushion. Bring your favorite drink. If it's cold, bring hot coffee. If it's hot, bring iced coffee. And whatever it might be, make it enjoyable and just don't dismiss exercise because it's too hard. Think of ways to be able to come to God and be satisfied to make it by making it enjoyable. The invitation to come, secondly, the promise of life. The promise of life. Verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. So now verse 3 begins to identify exactly what the invitation is for. Incline your ear, come to me. Hear that your soul may live. So this invitation is so that we can truly live. It's as if there's this longing in our hearts to be satisfied. There is this longing in my heart to be satisfied. So we seek it through many different means, right? Maybe entertainment throughout the day. Maybe even excessive entertainment because I really want to be satisfied. Maybe it's shopping, online shopping, buying things, getting things that I want. Maybe that'll make me satisfied. Maybe sexual enticement and those kinds of things will make me satisfied. And all of these things are ways that we spend, as it says, our money on that which is not bread. And in a deeper sense, all of these longings are failed attempts to try to truly live. So God says, come to me. Come to me because only in him there is life. Come to me and your soul will live. And the rest of this verse explains how this is possible. Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. So this life, being able to truly live, this life that we can have when we come to him, come to God, has to do with a covenant and David. You see, the promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 was to build David a house. And what that meant was that God would build for David an everlasting dynasty. And of course, this would be accomplished through the Messiah, the Messiah of the house of David, who would establish an everlasting kingship. Jesus, who will come through the line of David, who will accomplish salvation and establish an everlasting kingship for, for the Lord God. And that's what this verse is referring to. As we mentioned, this comes after Isaiah 53, which is all about the suffering servant who was pierced for our iniquities. He died on the cross for our sins, and by his wounds, anyone who believes in him will be healed and will have life. So in that context, God's when it says God's steadfast, sure love for David and this everlasting covenant, 
Those are one and the same that comes through Jesus Christ. Steadfast, sure love for David and this everlasting covenant, all because of the work of the suffering servant on the cross. And this same everlasting covenant that, that we experience it's that same everlasting covenant that we can experience when we come to God believing that Jesus was pierced for our, our iniquities. And then he says in verse 4, Behold, I made him a witness to the, to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. So just as David was a great leader of God's people, so will the son of David, Jesus Christ, be a leader and commander for the for the, the peoples of God, the nations. And then verse 5 looks to the future, what God will do through this greater David. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And so not only Israel, but nations will eventually come to God through Jesus Christ when the name of Jesus Christ is exalted and every knee shall bow to the name of Jesus Christ. And the effects of God's everlasting kingdom will reach the ends of the earth. So these verses now clarify what we read in verse 1, that he who has no money can still come, buy and eat that we can eat without money and without price. And that's possible because what we and the nations receive has already been paid for in full by Jesus Christ. Now, whenever I think of the phrase paid in full, I think of this illustration that I, that I came across many years ago. And um, in this story, a couple of hunters were caught in the middle of a massive forest fire that just came upon them too quickly for them to be able to escape. So these hunters, knowing that the fire was approaching them soon in their direction, what they did was they lit, they actually lit a fire to escape the fire. They lit a fire and burnt a large area around them. Okay, so it's this so before the, the, the fire can come and overwhelm them, burnt this large area. And then after it was burnt, they crouched in the middle of that burnt field as the fire, the forest fire, swept over them. And sure enough, the fire passed and they were unharmed. And these experienced hunters did this because they knew that fire will not burn what's already been burnt. And that's the point. We don't pay because Jesus paid for our sins in full. We don't die because Jesus already died. The wrath of God passes over us and we're unscathed. And not only that, but anyone who comes to God receives the benefits of an everlasting covenant in Jesus Christ. And that means that God's love for me is steadfast. Just like it says here in this, God's love for me is steadfast. God's love for me is sure. God's love for me will never change because I'm in an everlasting covenant in Jesus Christ. 
And I say to my kids periodically, right? Hey, you know that I love you no matter what, right? You know that I love you no matter what, right? And when I say that, I mean that with all my heart. But then, but then you can see that in another sense. But, you know, when, I, when I say that to another human being, I love you with, you know, no matter what. Is that truly, truly true? What I mean by that, really, when I say I love you no matter what, what I mean by that is I, I love, I'll love you as best as I can, no matter what. Because human love has all kinds of conditions and limitations. But God's love doesn't. His love for me is steadfast. It's the steadfast, sure love for David. It's, it's a sure love. It's an unchanging love, a love for me that does not change. Unlike any other human love that's made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was pierced for our iniquities, and by his wounds we can have life in him. The invitation to come, the promise of life, and thirdly, let the wicked forsake his way. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So now these verses add a few more thoughts to what's already been said. And Isaiah now here says, Seek the Lord now, because he will not always be found. He's here now, but he will not always be near. So there's a certain uh, um, maybe period of time that this is possible to seek the Lord. What do you do if you're sick and a doctor cannot be found? like really sick, deathly sick, and a doctor cannot be found. I mean, think about it. Like the pandemic gets so bad that the, the structure of society like crumbles and you can't find medical help when you need it. That's a bad situation. What do you do if there's an emergency and you call 911 and there's no one in the other end? I mean, like those kind of situations, it would be bad, right? But we'll survive. Like we know we'll survive because we see that in, in shows like The Walking Dead. Like we'll build communities and we'll build walls. And, okay? But what do you do if you need salvation and God cannot be found? Okay? What do you do if you need eternal life? The only other alternative is eternal death. You need eternal life, and God cannot be found. God's love, his grace cannot be found. Isaiah says that day will one day come, so seek the Lord while he may be found. And then he clarifies how that's done. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So at this point, we might be like, hey, wait a minute. I thought you said I can just come and eat for free. 
But now you're talking about forsaking your way. I'm not sure if I like this, this part of the Bible. But that's the thing. We don't get to cherish our unrighteous thoughts and our wicked ways and then come to God for life. There's only one way to come to God, and that's on his terms with a broken and contrite heart. There's only one way to come to God, and that's through repentance. And when we do, it says, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. When we do, when we do come to God in brokenness and repentance with a contrite heart, sinners are met not with judgment, or condemnation, but with compassion. And the promise that Isaiah offers is that God will abundantly pardon. Okay? There, are no, there are no hoops to jump through when we come to God. There are no reconciliation steps to be, to be paid. Right? He will not meet us with judgment, but he will abundantly pardon. Because that is the nature of God, and that is the terms of the covenant mediated for us through Jesus Christ. With his sure love, unchanging love, he offers us free forgiveness. Did you know that, um, that each county that we live in has something called like, I mean, they might call it different things in different counties, but something called the, the Recycle and Reuse Center. And, uh, and these are places, you know, like there are things that you can throw out in your, into your garbage and there are things that you're not supposed to throw into your garbage, right? Like batteries. Did you know you're not supposed to throw out your batteries in the garbage? I'm sure many of us have, but you're not supposed to. You're supposed to recycle them. Bat paint. You're not supposed to just dump paint in the garbage. So then, so you use these... These, uh, these recycled places, these drop-off places to bring your unwanted recyclable products. Okay? And then they take it and they recycle it. But at these places, not only do you drop off what you don't want, but they also have a facility, a reuse facility, where you can actually browse through some items that other people did not want that if you want it, you can take for free. So you go to these places and you drop off your unwanted green paint, the green paint that the previous owner left in the house when you bought the house and you found it in the basement two years later. You drop off that green paint and then you, you, take, you, you take home with you the white paint, the ex exterior white paint that you've been looking for for your deck and it's free. Now, that's kind of what God offers when we come to him. But actually, what God offers us is even better. I bring in my unusable junk, the things that I don't want, my unrighteous thoughts, my wicked ways, and he gives me what I would actually have to, to buy for, like what I actually have to pay for and buy at Menards, with money, he gives that to me for free. So what God offers us when we come to him 
is really an unusual trade. I give him my sins, and he gives me his love. I give him my wickedness, and he returns to me his covenant, unchanging, steadfast love. So he says, come, seek the Lord while he may be found, and let the wicked forsake his way. I'll just finish with this uh, illustration. Um, I went to Marshall's this week to get a couple of outdoor basketballs for the boys. Picked out the basketballs that I wanted, two of them. Stood in line. The line was long. Uh, For one thing, because, you know, they're like everyone has to stand six feet apart. And they're markers. And Marshall's did a really great job of that. They marked it on the floor where you can stand six feet apart. And not only that, but it took a long time to get to the cashier because after each customer leaves that cashier spot, the cashier has to spray and wipe down the counter and the keypad after every customer, even if the customer did not touch uh, the counter or anything like that, even if the customer held his breath the entire time. That was their procedure. They had to wipe down everything. So I finally got there. It's finally my turn. Got to the cashier. You know how it works at Marshall's cashier number three, please. And so I got there. And my cashier was a a teenage young man, probably working this as a summer job. As soon as I placed these basketballs on the counter, this young man, who obviously loves basketball, rubs his bare hands all over the basketballs. And he goes, I have these same ones, but I don't like the grip on my basketballs. And he's touching them. And he goes, but these, these are better than mine. Uh, I still bought them. But as soon as I got home, I yelled out, wipe down these basketballs. Get the Clorox wipes. Disinfect them. (laughs) Because they have germs on them. I mean, think about this. All the cashiers at the store were meticulously wiping down the counter after each customer. So there's obviously, when you think about what this this cashier did, there was an obviously there's a disconnect between principles, right, protocol, procedures, and practice. They had the procedures and protocol down. Do this. You have to do this. After each, and, and he was following it. But in terms of practice, he didn't follow the intention of the protocol. And I think that's often how it is in our spiritual lives. We come to church and we hear sermons on love your neighbor, don't show partiality. And we sit, sit here And we go, yeah, that's good. That's biblical. I agree. And then we go home, and then I don't see my next door neighbor in any different way. Love your neighbor. Yes, that's true. That's the the, the principle that I'm learning in, in, in the Bible, that I read in my quiet times. 
And then I step out and I see my neighbor and I ignore him. Or we might hear these kinds of things, right? Love your neighbor, care without partiality, and because of the, 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 the wave of the different things that we're reading and hearing, maybe we care more and, or more sensitive to my, my, my black neighbor, and that's great. But then now I look at the, the homeless man in the corner, and I think nothing differently. Again, there's a disconnect between procedure and practice. And I think that's often how it is, not only in our horizontal relationships, but also in our relationship with God. We come to church and we hear, God loves you with a sure love, with an unconditional love, with a covenant love that Jesus died on the cross to accomplish and, and saved us from our sins. And we sit in the pews and we hear in our homes and we say, yes, that's true. That's so true. But then when Monday morning comes, and, uh, and I guess now I have a choice to practice the love of God into my life, there's some sort of a disconnect. And what I'm offering to you here through this passage as a, as a practical thought to think about and to implement into your life is that that disconnect is probably one of the biggest hindrances to us truly experiencing this dynamic love relationship with God that he has for us. That disconnect is what we have to give our attention to so that I can truly experience what is satisfying, what is life in my daily practice of life. It does no good to come to church and read the Bible or, or hear a sermon and agree with the love of God that is for me, that is purchased for me, um, and then go home and, and spend my money continuously on things that will not satisfy. And uh, so let me just once again encourage you and challenge us to think about what are some ways that I can make this daily practice enjoyable kind of has to be, on a very practical human level, enjoyable for me. Um, think about that and, uh, and implement that. Let's implement that into our lives. And, uh, and as much as we can, remove that disconnect between principle, procedure, and the practice of experiencing a love relationship with God. Let's pray together. One thing I can just offer is that I think sometimes... Sometimes our all-or-nothing mentality kind of works against us, um, right? Like we think uh, kind of like, I got to spend an hour with God and, and uh, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes is not enough. And so like all-or-nothing, like I have to be uh, seven days a week, okay? three, four days a week, a week not enough, all-or-nothing. And uh, so because it's not all, sometimes we end up with nothing. Um, but 
think we need to kind of it might help practically to kind of get away from that kind of mindset so you know rather than um, rather than all think of any right like any meaningful time I spend with God is still meaningful um, any time that I spend meditating on the word of God Holy Spirit is going to use that Anything that I do to invest and uh, uh, delight in what is truly life will have an impact on my soul. So, um, whatever it might be, approach it from the perspective of any, anything that I can do Sunday night, Monday morning, to draw near to God. Um, And with that mindset, let's come, come to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that we can receive from the word of God, of your steadfast love for us that does not change. And uh, we pray that it would be your kindness that leads us to repentance. Help us to turn away from our wicked ways and pursue after Christ and pray that your spirit would work to remove the disconnect and help us to truly experience life in you be with us be with your people and uh, allow us to not only survive during this time but really grow thrive in a deep love relationship with you thank you lord we pray in jesus name amen let's pray together heavenly father we thank you for your great 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 love for us we thank you that you uh, embrace sinners not with judgment and condemnation but you freely, abundantly forgive. And and when we come, it's the work of your spirit in our hearts that enables us to truly delight in in the message of the gospel and and removes us away from the the pretense and the formality. So, so we just pray that you would do that uh, through any any efforts of your people throughout this week to draw near to you. Meet us by your grace. We pray that your, your spirit would would overwhelm our hearts with your love. Strengthen us that we might delight in Christ and be addicted to his love for us. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this unchanging covenant, sure love of the Father God, and the fellowship and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's people, now and forever. Amen.